Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. Welcome to another edition of the Sports Rivals. For Ernie, I am Monty. Together we are going to talk the world of sports. And this week, more than any week recently, there is a ton of different sports that we need to talk about, Ernie. Um, Everything from, of course, the NFL action this week, the Heisman Trophy winner, the in-season NBA tourney, and where we're going to start. The biggest news of the weekend, uh, especially, was the signing of Shohei Otani by my Los Angeles Dodgers for an incredible 10 years, $700 million. That's That's even more than your most recent contract, Ernie. I mean, that was crazy. Now, Ernie knows that I have been dreading the Dodgers going after Shohei Otani and spending what I believe was going to be between five and six hundred million. So when I initially saw seven hundred million, I literally dropped to the floor in in shock and (laughs) concern and consternation until I saw some of the details. Now, one of the things with this Shohei Otani deal is that everything has been extremely secret. I think that's just the way of Japan, of these Japanese nationals who are very respectful, very low-key, very uh, secretive. Um, So very little information came out. However, the word from Jeff Passan, the MLB expert, who broke the story is that most now what that means i don't know most of the 700 million has been deferred to allow the dodgers to continue to build the roster around mookie uh freeman and shohei now how much who knows we may be paying shohei otani for the next 20 30 years like a la bobby bonilla from the 80s and 90s but what was your initial thought when you saw 700 million for 10 years you know i i think that that's a fair price over 10 years i mean you look at the basketball players jalen brown five years 305 million shohei plays two positions effectively although he's only going to be playing uh, as a hitter next year, but he's a double threat. Uh, I think he's deserving of the money. I just don't know if you can build around him. But you know, based upon what uh, you know, you know the vague contract uh, information that uh, you know is uh, you know currently floating around there, Dodgers may have something now. Whether that's how far that's deferred, I'm pretty much sure that Shohei wouldn't let it go off for. You know, as long as Bobby Bonilla, as we know, inflation is out there that diminishes the contract. I'm pretty sure the earlier I I would be surprised if it goes beyond the initial contract of 10 years. I I think I think it's going to be very uh, team friendly the first three years and then incrementally outrageous the the remainder of the contract. Yeah, I believe, I'm not sure how far it extends out, but I believe it does extend beyond the 10 years to some extent. I'm not sure if it goes 20 to 30 years because that would really liquefy the value of this. But we're talking about the biggest contract 
In the history of sports, $700 million is bigger than Ronaldo's contract, Mbappe's contract, um, Mahomes' contract, Mike Trout's contract. It is by far the biggest contract. Now, from the Dodgers' perspective, let's take let's take a look from this. Are they going to get the baseball value of $70 million a year on average? I doubt it. I mean, the thing is, Shohei Otani has been the unanimous MVP two of the last three years, mainly because he's also been a dominant pitcher. Right. The likelihood of him ever returning to be the pitcher that he was after two elbow surgeries and the history of people that have had two elbow surgeries within a five-year window is not very positive. So to think that he's going to get back to that level of pitching is probably not likely, certainly not for a nine-year period of time. However, if you look at from a business perspective with the Dodger brand and how much Shohei Otani is adored in Japan, just the number of Shohei Otani Dodger jerseys and Spectrum going to Japan. There's the Dodgers return on the investment in general from a business marketing standpoint is definitely going to pay for itself. From a baseball perspective, I'm a little bit unsure if the Dodgers are ever going to get $700 million worth of value from Shohei. But the fact that he put his money where his mouth is in terms of, I want to win. He realizes that as good as Mookie Freeman and Shohei Otani would be one, two, three in the lineup, without pitching, the Dodgers are going no place. And the Dodgers lost Urias because he's a wife beater. They lost Kershaw, who's had shoulder surgery. Walker Bueller is coming off his second uh, Tommy John surgery. He's going to be on an innings limitation. Uh, and then beyond that, we have all rookies. So the Dodgers really need a ton of pitching. So the fact that Shohei creates some cap room to go and sign pitching gives the Dodgers an adequate amount of chance this year. But Shohei Otani to the Dodgers, wow, that was unexpected. Yeah, unexpected and, you know, fortunate, I guess. Fortunate in the way that the... You know, again, we don't know all the details in regards to the contract when that is, uh, you know, all put into play or, or all let out, uh, you know, for us to review. Then uh, I guess we can make a better determination on uh, if it was a good contract or not. But you're correct in regards to the economics of the contract. Yeah, that contract pays for itself. Again, it all comes down to whether or not the Dodgers can manipulate, you know, his, uh, uh, let's just say the team's basically cap space and we all know baseball out of the three major sports is the most liberal in regards to uh because they don't have a hard cap they have the luxury tax right it's 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 the most i mean by far the most liberal out of all three sports definitely and and i think major league baseball in general you know and as a dodger fan i i'm sure listeners can can feel as if I'm maybe biased in this situation, but Ernie can attest. I was not on the Shohei bandwagon. Not that I don't love Shohei Otani, but I didn't want one person to offset our chances for success. But on Friday afternoon, word spread like wildfire that Shohei Otani was on his way to Toronto 
to sign a contract with the Toronto Blue Jays. Wow. In fact, Dodger Nation had already reported on Twitter that it's a done deal. Shohei Otani is going to the Toronto Blue Jays. People, thousands of people were tracking a flight that left John Wayne Airport in Anaheim for Toronto saying that Shohei Otani was on that flight ready to sign a contract. And it's nothing against Toronto. Toronto has had a good competitive team. Toronto has won a couple of world championships. They have a solid roster now. But you're talking about the single biggest athlete in the world right now. Maybe along with LeBron James and maybe Ronaldo and Messi, but a very small window of people who are the biggest athletes in the world. And if he were to play in Canada, that I think would have been not to the major league baseball's advantage. I think the fact that he's staying in the United States and playing with a big brand is good for Major League Baseball. Whether or not it's good for the Dodgers remains to be seen, but certainly I think um, Rob Manford breathed a sigh of relief when the Dodgers announced a $700 million signing, keeping him away from old Canada. Yeah, and I bet you that Canada was actually, that Canada contract was probably more than $700 million. Canada has, is under a different... Uh, what do you call that? Tax restriction. It's more, it's more, uh, I guess, Canada friendly where they, they take more of the money. I know in, in NBA uh, salaries, that's why Kawhi Leonard left uh, early uh, and whatnot. So, uh, you know, good, good for the Dodgers. And I really, uh, for Otani's uh, sake, I really hope it does well. I mean, I, he does have the advantage of bringing over, like you said, the, you know, the Japanese audience. You know, it's, it's, it's the Asian audience in general. I mean, uh, you know, he, he goes beyond uh, MLB. Let's say he transcends, you know, MLB in the fact that he's, he's not only just an Asian, but he's a dominant player. You know, in Major League Baseball. A unicorn. He's yeah. always been referred to as a unicorn. Probably the single most gifted baseball player in the history of Major League Baseball by the fact of what he's able to do on the mound and um, at the plate and the fact that he's 6'4", can steal you 20-plus bases. So I'm excited now for the Dodgers, but it remains to be seen what is the next domino to fall. Can the Dodgers sign fellow Japanese superstar Yamamoto uh, or at least Blake Snell or some other starting pitchers that remains to be seen but a lot of excitement in Dodger Town right now I will reserve judgment until we can secure some pitching because without the pitching Dodgers are going to go anywhere but for now Shohei Otani is a Los Angeles Dodger. Let the mad rush begin <laughs> on number 17 Dodger jerseys out there in the marketplace. Again, that's Ernie I. Monty. We're going to shift gears a little bit. Before we get into um, the second biggest story, at least for what we're concerned about, the in-season NBA tournament, congratulations to Jaden Daniels, quarterback from LSU, won the closest Heisman Trophy vote in quite a while. Um 
beating Michael Penix from Washington. Bo Nix finishes in third place. Marvin Harrison Jr. finishes in fourth place. And Ernie Caleb Williams doesn't even place in the top 10, which I think is a little crazy. When you look at the statistics, he actually, his statistics this year versus last year were not too dissimilar. Mm -hmm. The big difference was wins and losses. Wins and losses. And they kept losing. They kept giving up 50 points a game. That was the problem. But congratulations to Jaden Daniels. An incredible season. 40 touchdown passes. Another 10 touchdowns are on the ground. Uh, almost 4,000 yards passing, 1,200 yards rushing. An incredible, incredible, incredible season. Congratulations to Jaden Daniels, the future uh, late first round draft pick of the Los <laughs> Angeles Rams. <laughs> true, true, true. And, you know, all four of those guys who are in contention, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting on how it, this shakes up on the draft prospects. I mean, there's word out there if the Panthers actually get the first pick that it might even be Harrison out there. I, you know, there's there's debate out there whether, you know, the Panthers, because they dra- already drafted Bryce Young uh, last year, if that's going to be a possibility. Well, the but. Panthers pick actually goes to the Bears. So the Bears have the decision yeah, yeah, right. on whether or not right. they want to keep Justin Fields that's right. and trade the, the Caleb Williams pick for a ransom or trade fields and draft Caleb Williams. But the Bears uh, are sitting pretty right now because the, the yeah. Panthers are 1-12 and 12, uh, and clearly looking, especially with the with what we're going to talk about soon, yeah, uh, they st- now have a two-game lead over the next leading contender. Yeah, because, because, of the Steelers. because of my Steelers. Because of my Steelers. But let's transition to the exciting conclusion of the NBA in-season tournament. Ernie last week alluded to the fact that it would have been an unbelievable finale if it was Boston and Lakers in the finale. Well, half of it came true. Unfortunately for Ernie, Boston went out in the quarterfinals. Uh, Indiana beats Boston, beats Milwaukee in the semis, plays the Lakers in the final. The Lakers... uh, narrowly get by phoenix in the quarterfinals controversial yeah yeah controversial destroy the pelicans in the semifinals uh and then led by ad and lebron and and uh ar15 defeat the pacers to win the first ever in-season tournament um as a laker fan as a la fan Wonderful weekend in L.A. Shohei Otani in the morning. LeBron James, A.D. winning the first season in-season tournament in the afternoon. Again, your overall impressions. I know the Celtics didn't win it, um, but a, to me, a resounding success. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Irregardless, even when the Celtics played in the quarterfinals against Indiana, Indiana, especially Halliburton, played in an incredible— I, I think that was probably the best game— out of any game in this in-season tournament. I don't mean that. What a fourth quarter. Jalen, not Jalen Brown, but uh, Tatum gets ejected. They're already without Porzingis. But Indiana, that second half, they were held to 46 points. The the number one, historically number one offense was held to 46 points in the first half, scored 70, almost 80 points in the second half, Shooting 47% from three beyond the arc. Uh, incredible. Halliburton was crazy. Unfortunately, uh, the Indiana Paper Pacers uh, got back down to earth again. Even against Milwaukee, they shot under 30%, but still managed to beat the Bucks, who have definitely something wrong because uh, 
they're just giving up points left and right. They don't they don't basically have a defense. And uh, you know, in the championship game, whew, that was a tough three quarters to watch. But good thing, uh, good thing, AD was there to you know put up the points. And the fourth quarter was actually exciting because it, it did come down to be a little close until the end where the the Lakers put it away. But yeah, this is gonna be here. If you don't like it, tough because this thing is here to stay. I expect an expanded tournament for next year. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the part that I was a little bit um, curious as because I think this one worked. It definitely worked. The players are playing harder. Uh, the $500,000 prize was mattered. The 200000 for the second place team mattered. Um, players are playing hard on the tournament games. Players were sitting out on the non-tournament game so certainly it mattered to the players my only concern is will it matter next year you know the inaugural one i think especially with lebron involved i think he had this motivation to win something and the fact that it was the first one i think you could see how motivated the lakers were with lebron and ad playing 40 plus minutes to get this this thing won um i'm curious to see how we build from this what tweaks may or may not be made i know they're going to take a look at the point differential but ernie this whole in-season tournament was based on like the champions league in soccer and in the champions league in soccer one of the tiebreakers becomes goal differential yeah you know and so I don't know how you get around that. Now, within the world of basketball, I think it's slightly different. Like, you can't just run up the goal scoring in the Champions League. It's, soccer is a completely different thing. There is no Haka Drummond, as Ernie alluded to. There's You can't do those kinds of things. So I'm not sure how they tweak it. Um, but uh, the NBA has to be absolutely thrilled because no one cares about the NBA until Christmas yeah, Day. That's right. And it's not just Ernie and I who are caring about this in-season tournament. I think in general, the public was fascinated by this in-season tournament. And I would have to give the NBA an A-plus on creating this, generating this interest. And let's, make sh- let's hope, for my sake, that the Lakers don't pay a long-term price for wearing out LeBron and AD <laughs> trying to chase this championship. Yeah, there was a scary part when LeBron uh, fell down and he was grabbing his knee. There's like, oh, no, but he got, he, he got up. But, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I wouldn't change a thing. I really want because part of the intriguing part, at least for me, was looking at other teams to see how much they scored. And that kept me engaged because, again, for the Boston Celtics, uh, you know, they – they lost one game, which means uh, going into the tiebreaker, they had to win by a certain... So I was, in, I was looking at three different games on that final game. I mean, it kept... It, just to see if they would make, make, the, uh, make, make it into the tournament. So I wouldn't change a thing. It, I might change it maybe the year after next or the year after that. But right now, the only thing that I would do is I would, I would put in more than four games. If you put in more than four games, the less likelihood it is... 
where you get those tiebreakers. Yeah, but I think the whole the whole premise of the four is that you break up the league into six groups of five and you play everybody one time. I think that's exactly like the Champions League, except in soccer, it's pools of four. You play everybody three times and then you move on. I think they 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 did that this way. I'm not sure how you would expand it, but I'm curious to see. But I am uh, thrilled with the success. And again, LeBron James MVP at age 39. Crazy. Define logic at this point in time, how well he is playing. And his performance against the Pelicans, 9 for 12, 30 points in 23 minutes. Couldn't miss. 4 for 4 from 3. Was just miraculous. So congratulations to my Lakers. Congratulations to my Dodgers. As we transition to the NFL. And that's where the luck in L.A. runs out. But before we talk about the Rams, I think we have to start with Ernie Steelers. I mean, because the whole the, the week started on Thursday and like an idiot for the third consecutive week, I played a Thursday night game. I took the Steelers. And for the third consecutive week, I lost my Thursday night game. But all I could think about when I was watching that game and when the final score came out was, poor Ernie. He must, he must not be happy at this point in time. Ernie, what the hell happened? Trubisky. Trubisky, this whole game was not, not just Trubisky. It was Trubisky and Tomlin. And for the first time that since I've been a Steeler fan and that Tomlin's been head coach, did I, do I think that he's on the hot seat? I mean, two weeks in a row, he goes on fourth and three. The first one against uh, Arizona last week with, with the game tied at 3-3. They don't make it. Arizona goes in, takes over the ball, marches 99 yards to steal momentum, going up 10-3. Coming, coming out of halftime, Trubisky fumbles the ball inside their 20, and they score it easy, making it 17-3. Game over. This week, it happens again. Game is close. He goes for it. Uh, Steelers go for it on a fourth and three. Don't make it again. And the momentum shifted. Trubisky is not a quarterback. The cries were out for Mason Rudolph to be the starting quarterback next week. I don't know if that happens. But, you know, between the blunders that... Uh, you know, Tomlin is making on those fourth fourth down and goal calls along with the ball play of uh, Mitch Trubisky. Uh, it's looking bleak. And to add injury to insult, we got two guys in concussion pro- protocol. And one major one of that is that T.J. Watt is one of them. He gets hurt. He gets kneed on the head on the first play of the game. Continues to play like a trooper. I, I mean... I wouldn't do that. I mean, his career is off to a great start for him to, uh, you know, put that type of uh, injury upon himself is. I mean, uh, I don't want I don't need him to be, you know, the next sale. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was shocked that he he kept playing. Honestly, I mean, you could tell he was bothered. Then he would come back out. Then he would go back out. Then he would come back out. Then he would go into the tent. Clearly something was wrong with him and he was being bothered. So the fact that he kept playing, I thought was a mistake. Um, But yes, as bad as Trubisky is, Billy Zappi with three touchdown passes, I was 
floored because I don't think they've scored 21 points in the last month. No. Nope. And they scored three touchdowns. Wasn't that like in the first half? Yeah, all you in know, the first they, half. They scored that, and, that, and that's shocking. And then the thing is, and this is a pet peeve of mine. I am a CPA by trade. I love data. I love analytics. But the, all of this analytics decision-making right now really irritates me. And, and especially a team, to me, like a team like the Steelers or maybe the Patriots or maybe the Jets, the teams that are struggling offensively, a fourth and three analytic data is different for these teams that are struggling offensively as it is for Dallas, which is averaging 40 points a game, or some of the best offensive teams. If you are one of the teams that are struggling offensively and you can get points on the board, especially against a team as pathetic as the Patriots offensively all season long, take the points. Take the points. Put the pressure on them. Let your let your defense pin themselves back chasing touchdowns when that's not your makeup at least not this year to me is a mistake and I think the Steelers have every right to be frustrated with Mike Tomlin now now is he really on the hot seat that would be shocking to me that he would ever be on the hot seat um But still, I I think we can be more prudent and stop with all the analytics, especially the teams. You got to know your personnel. You got to know your strengths and weaknesses. To me, take the points if you're the Steelers. Build some confidence, especially when Trubisky's struggling. Every time there's a failure, the whole team suffers confidence-wise. The energy gets sucked out of the stadium. It becomes a negative environment. And that's not conducive to any kind of success. So um, I was floored that they lost to the Patriots. And you said something earlier, first time in NFL history that a team loses back-to-back home games. Against two-win teams. Two-win teams. Um, And we thought two weeks ago, we thought that the Steelers were going to be sitting pretty at at least 9-4. and with the Cardinals and the Patriots coming up at home and now they're sitting at seven and six. But again, Ernie, they're still right smack in the middle of the playoff hunt in the sixth spot right now. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know what's going to happen this week. They play the Colts. They're on, you know, they're underdogs for this game. And I'm telling you right now, if Trubisky is a starter, it's not going to happen this week. It's, it's just, I just can't see it. He threw one interception. She could have thrown four. There were four interceptions that if the defensive back or linebacker just held on to the ball, that it would have been turnover. The week prior when he took over the second half, he had three interceptions. All in the second half of taking over. On top of the fumble, which nine out of ten quarterbacks make on a low low snap. Again, uh, I'm just frustrated. I'm frustrated. The guy seems like a nice guy. Be a nice guy on another team. Go go to the Rams or something. Or <laughs> Speaking of my Rams, again, another... Uh, uh, to me, I was so proud of watching the Rams play today. Seven and a half point underdogs. Baltimore has been destroying all the NFC teams that came into Baltimore all year long. The Rams literally went toe-to-toe with them for the entire game, succumbing to them in overtime. On a 76-yard punt return, nonetheless. But the Rams all day long 
Kyron Williams continues his impressive stretch, 114 yards rushing. Matt Stafford, just under 300 yards, three touchdowns. Touchdowns, Cooper Cup, 115 yards receiving. Puka had a, a costly drop. But he had some good plays 85, as well. 85, he could the have The Rams played really, really, really well. And unfortunately, they didn't help the Steelers and they succumbed to the Ravens 37-31. But considering the Ravens came off a bye, proud of my Rams. Yeah, no, I was shocked when I seen the early, <laughs> early score on, on that. And then I, I, I switched it again just when uh, Puka Nakua dropped that pass. And, you know, if he caught that pass, he himself would have been over 100 yards. So... You know, uh, that's how good this uh, team is. To put 31 points up at Baltimore when you're flying from one coast to the other, almost the extreme furthest away that you can travel uh, in this NFL league. And to do that and and take it into overtime against a good Baltimore could is arguably uh, a team that could be the number really? one seed. Yeah, or or undefeated. The, their losses were close. Yeah. You know, so that's a good Baltimore team. The Rams just need to uh, keep on doing what they're doing. And I think, you know, when it's all said and done, they have a sh- legitimate shot of making the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, a win today would have been so much more helpful, but they did lose. It is what it is. And again, I know I'm sour grapes. I know I keep saying this, but... That having the Baltimore Ravens coming off a bye, you could see the Rams defensive line got tired at the end. And then the the whole thing with this game is the Rams offense was solid the whole game. The Rams defense had a couple of catastrophic mistakes. They let Isaiah Likely go completely unguarded for a 54-yard touchdown in the first quarter. Then a double move by Odell Beckham on another 50-yard touchdown to get their second score. And then at the end of the game, with the Rams holding a 28-23 lead, third and 17, they allow Lamar Jackson to complete a touchdown pass to Zay Flowers and the two-point conversion. Um, Those three critical defensive errors are really the difference. And of course, a 76-yard punt return. But for the most part, offensively, I was shocked. Every time the Ravens scored, the Rams answered right back. They came back time and time and time again. Um, I was very proud of my Los Angeles Rams. But we're now in a situation where if we don't make the the worst case scenarios, you go 8-9 or 9-8 and now you're picking 19 or 20th in the draft and you don't make the playoffs. So the and we still got a game at San Francisco, which is no sense show up. That's an automatic loss. So we really need to win our next three games to get to nine, and we're gonna need some help because we need the Vikings to lose, we need the Green Bay Packers to lose. But overall, proud of my Los Angeles Rams. So Ernie, let's cover exactly what happened. Um, Miami plays tomorrow. They are still currently well. Technically, they're the number two seed now because Baltimore has 10 wins. Um, Buffalo goes to Kansas City, gets a win, 20-17. to 17. The offensive woes of Kansas City continues. Buffalo goes to 7-6. and six. The Jets, their best offensive performance Unreal. behind Zach Wilson in, in like two months. They put up 30 points. And they destroy the Texans 30-6. to C.J. Stroud leaves the game with concussion. Um, we'll see if he's going to battle back next week. And then we already talked about the Patriots win over the Steelers. They go to 3-10. and Ravens 10-3. and The Browns uh, beat Jacksonville. Ernie, on Monday night, 
Trevor Lawrence looks like he's out for the year, carried off the field the f- with a high ankle sprain, and he plays a week later. Kenny Pickett has surgery. He's out for a month, and he looked pretty good today against Cleveland. Now, Cleveland got out to a big lead uh, early, and then Jacksonville made it interesting late. Cleveland hangs on to go to 8-5. and five. The Steelers, 7-6. and six. The Bengals have bounced back behind Jake Browning. An impressive win at Jacksonville. They come back with a rout of the Indianapolis Colts. They're still in the hunt at 7-6. and six. Jacksonville dropped two this week since we last talked to you. They're at 8-5. and five. The Colts at 7-6. and six. The Texans at 7-6. and six. The Titans play at Miami tomorrow. They're at 4-8. and eight. The Chiefs continuing to struggle. Losers of two in a row. They're now 8-5. and five. And the way it looks right now, for the first time ever, um, Patrick Mahomes is going to have to play a role playoff game if he's going to get to the Super Bowl. Denver wins at the Chargers in what I believe will be Brandon Staley's last game as a head coach. Denver Broncos go to 7-6. and, and six. The Chargers at 5-8 and eight, and the Raiders in the worst game in the history of the world. 0-0 <laughs> with Snoozer. two minutes left in the game. Uh, the Vikings kick a field goal to win 3-0 in a game that the Lasiste family here from Honolulu were physically at that game. They got to say they witnessed the worst game in NFL history. <laughs> <laughs> now let's take a look at the playoff picture right now because it's really cloudy in the AFC. So you have the Ravens at number one. uh, And I think where it gets really interesting is in how do all these seven and six teams stack up? Right now, the Steelers are at seven and six. They are the sixth seed because of their five and four conference record. The Colts are also with a five and four conference record. They're the seventh seed. They play each other this week, so they're going to take care of each other right there. Uh, the Texans are eight. The Broncos are nine. The Texans are four and four in conference. The Broncos are four and five. The Bengals, this is where they struggle. They are three and six in conference at seven and six. They're going to have to get way clear. And the Buffalo Bills right now are at four and five. So all those teams from five through 11 have the exact same record with a handful of games left. The AFC is going to be a barn burner for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's going to be real interesting. For me, I'm just holding my breath until at least Kenny Pickett gets back. And even with him back, I don't know if that changes much. I mean, they did a Band-Aid solution fire in Canada. I don't think that's the hotel story of, you know, the offensive woes for the Steelers. But, yeah, I mean, the worst thing that could possibly happen in the AFC North, the Steelers lose and the three remaining teams in that conference win. So, bad week for the... For me as an NFL fan. Let's go through the NFC. Right now, the Dallas Cowboys look like they're going to roll through the Philadelphia Eagles. It's 30-13 to 13, uh, in the fourth quarter. So Dallas looks like they're going to tie Philadelphia at the top of the NFC East. However, Philadelphia still leads because of their better conference record. But Philadelphia and Dallas will both be 10-3. and three. Giants play tomorrow. They're 4-8. and eight. Commanders have a bye week. Of course they have a bye week because they play the Rams next week. <laughs> Coming off of their bye week, they're at four and nine. The Detroit Lions 
hurt Ernie this week. We'll get more to that in a little bit. But they are really struggling. As hot as they were early on, the last month they've been very sus. Uh, and they get waxed today by the Bears. They fall to 9-4. and four. Still two games clear of the Minnesota Vikings who are at 7-6. and six. Green Bay plays tomorrow looking to go 7-6. and six. And the Bears making a late season surge. Two wins in a row to go to 5-8. and eight. And in the best division in football, the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat Atlanta in Atlanta. Now the Bucks, the Falcons, and the Saints all at six and seven, although technically the Bucks are in first place in that division. And Carolina, as we talked to, one and twelve, firmly in charge of the first pick. 49ers roll against the Seahawks today. They're 10 and 3, the number one seed in the NFC. Rams and Seahawks are at 6 and 3, and the, the Cardinals uh, on by, they are at 3 and 10. So it's really looking like in the NFC, it's the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the 49ers. In the AFC, it is completely wide open. 1 through 11, any of those teams could technically get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and in my opinion, uh, if I was in the uh, NF, uh, the NFC East, that fight between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, I, 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 would, I would not win. I would not win that division because you know what? Coming in as the wild card, you get to play whoever comes out of that, out of that NFC South. You know, as as your first, as as the wild card, you're gonna be not you're gonna be an away game, but I can to me that's gonna be an easier win than playing uh, any of the other wild card teams. You know, being a number one seed. You know, but that you're right. That AFC battle for you know those wild card spots probably gonna come down to you know the last games of the season. Now we alluded to our picks. Um, I'm gonna be one and one for the. 100th consecutive week as I've alluded to lost the Pittsburgh Steeler game against the Patriots won the Dallas game they're 33 to 13 with a minute left Dallas is going to cover for me Ernie goes 0 and 2 so Ernie goes on a six game winning streak and now a four game losing streak losing with Detroit against Chicago and a heartbreaker with Atlanta against Tampa Bay that only means that next week Ernie is a lock to go 2 and 0 with which two picks or or zero and two. I, I'm either I win everything or I lose everything. And for the second week in a row, I lose on the last play of the game with that team inside the ten yard line going for you know a touchdown. But it is what it is. For my first game, I'm going Cleveland uh, minus three over the Chicago Bears. I like what Cleveland's being doing. I think Flacco's a uh, legit replacement. I think Chicago has been doing it with smoke and mirrors. There is no way, there is no way that Justin Fields does what he did today to that Cleveland Brown defense. I thought he was, he played spectacular today. He's going to be very much normalized against this, uh, that Cleveland defense. I like the Cleveland Browns minus three over the Chicago Bears. In my second game, the Kansas City Chiefs have their offensive woes. Since week eight, they have failed. Other than one time, they have failed to score more than 21 points. That's a good almost two months that they're, they've been practicing offensive futility. However, they play the New England Patriots, take out those two quarters in the first half against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they haven't scored anything. Take the Kansas City Chiefs nine and a half points over the New England. Bonus. Take the under for the game. 
<laughs> All right, so Ernie's going to go with the Cleveland Browns over the Bears and Kansas City uh, to get off the schneid against New England. I got to preface this right now. Um, Ernie and I take turns saying who we want. We both like the Browns over the Bears. Uh, we definitely like that one. I think Joe Flacco is really playing well. Bears are playing well too, but that Browns defense is uh, is tough. So I'm going to go with my Los Angeles Rams. Despite the fact that the Commanders are coming off a of bye week, I think the Rams are just playing really, really well. I'm not sure the Commanders really care anymore. I think the fact that they got rid of their defensive linemen bodes well for our offense the Rams have put up over 30 points in three consecutive games four consecutive games uh three consecutive games I think the Rams are playing really really well offensively I'm not sure what they're going to be able to to get from the commanders but I think the Rams get the job done winning by more than a touchdown then I'll take Green Bay they have not lost a game in December since Matt LaFleur has become the coach. 16-0 going into tomorrow's game. I don't think it changes against the Giants tomorrow. And I don't think it changes against Baker uh, and, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to the frozen tundra. The Green Bay Packers should be healthy by then, assuming they come out of tomorrow night unscathed. I like the Packers minus the three and a half at home versus Tampa Bay. Uh, Green Bay lane three and a half at home against Tampa Bay Rams lane six and a half at home against the commanders my picks Browns lane three versus the Bears I love that pick as well but that's Ernie's pick and then Kansas City minus nine and a half the top five teams I'm gonna spit mine out real quick the game is a final it's 33-13 Dallas meaning San Francisco is number one for me they do nothing to change that Dallas is number two to me and I think that is clear that they are the top two teams right now at least the way that they're playing the Ravens survive they go to number three for me I'm assuming Miami is going to win tomorrow I'm going to slot them into number four and I'll drop Philly to number five that's a little bit tough considering they have three losses and the gauntlet of games that they played recently Kansas City Buffalo, Dallas, San Francisco, Dallas again. That's a lot of physical wear and tear over the last five weeks. They went three and two. The problem is those two losses were the last two weeks. So Philadelphia will remain my top, my number five. What about you? We're, we're almost identical. I'm picking the Baltimore Ravens as my number two team. Again, just based upon the premise that they did win and they were in that slot for me last week Dallas Cowboys a very formidable I do believe that right now they're playing the second best football but I have to take a look at the, the entirety of the season Baltimore again has a legitimate argument of being an undefeated team with all those close losses and, and being that the Dallas Cowboys away from home are basically a 500 team Three of their next four games to close out the season are going to be away games. I mean, no, I know that that has no uh, uh, predication into this week's ranking, but I just, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, it's a close call. Mine doesn't change from you, but again, San Francisco number one, Baltimore two, the Cowboys three, Miami by default until tomorrow's game four. Philadelphia, like you, close out the rear. Kansas City had a chance to move in. They lost. Jacksonville had a chance to move in at 8-4. They lost. The Detroit Lions at 9-3 had a chance to move in. They lost. They don't get in. Philadelphia at number five. I think the Rams are number six right now, even with the loss to the Ravens. They could be. <laughs> they could be. But all the top five teams in our, they all have three losses. 
I mean, they're all at 10 or 9 and 3, assuming Miami's going to win tomorrow. They're all going to be 10 and 3, um, which is crazy. I yeah. mean, they have there seems to be some sort of separation. So I'm going to transition into my closing thought again. That's Ernie. I'm Monty. We are the Sports Rivals, part of the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. Again, your home for Wake Up in the Den with Kuule and Paul Breck. Weekday mornings at 8 a.m. and 9 to 9 a.m. on 760 a.m. 95.1 on your FM dial, home of Dallas Cowboy football, USC football, OIA sports, Clipper basketball, and much, much more. For me, Ernie, I'm going to talk a little bit about the transfer portal. I know from time to time I bring this up. The transfer portal went official on Monday of this week. 1,500 players have gone into the NCAA transfer portal so far this week, including Hawaii's own Dylan Gabriel, who left Oklahoma, signed yesterday or committed yesterday to the University of Oregon. He will take Bo Nix's place, which I believe is a perfect fit for both Oregon and for Dylan Gabriel. So I'm happy for Hawaii boy going to Oregon. But the fact of the matter is 1,500 players, including University of Hawaii quarterback Braden Shager, who at the end of the season said, I'll be back throwing bombs in Manoa next year. And then less than a week later, he announces his transfer. But I think in this case, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think in this case, it's more along the lines of maybe Timmy Chang told him, hey, Micah Alihado from number one national championship, Bishop Gorman, is coming into town next year. We're going to turn the offense over to him. Um, So you may want to take a look elsewhere. I give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not sure if that's what happened, but I'm actually glad that we're going to turn the keys over to Michael Alejado. But I think the thing that I wanted to talk about right now is a very interesting conversation happened with uh, Matt Rule, the coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, former Baylor coach, former Carolina Panther coach, who says that at Nebraska, they're going to have to develop their players because right now, a starting quarterback at the NCAA Power 5 level If you want a good quarterback, you want to go out and get a good quarterback, you're going to have to be willing to pay between one and a half and two million dollars a season to get a quarterback in NIL money. And that is crazy. Now, there's two trains of thought. Half the people like you go for it. These players go and get the money that you, you deserve. That's one train of thought. The flip side is. The smaller schools who are developing these players are now getting them sucked away because the bigger schools with bigger NIL dollars can pay more. So there is a, an unfairness there. Now, if I'm a college student, especially one that does not have the physical tools to realistically play in the NFL, if my last bet, like a Brandon Schrager, is to try to get a million dollars somewhere or half a million dollars somewhere to go and play, that's my shot at a big payday that I need to take because I'm not going to play in the NFL. Um, So I get that. From the player's perspective, I get that. My struggle, and I differ from Colin Cowherd and some of the other people who are like, college football has never been better. Again, it's a relative statement. If you're talking about ratings and you're going to consolidate all the talent in the country amongst 25 to 30 teams, will that generate better TV ratings? 
Possibly. Will that make college football as a whole better? That's another story. And then the other thing is, Ernie, and the last thing that I really wanted to touch on this is the ones that are getting hurt by this are not the five-star freshmen, incoming freshmen, high school seniors. Five stars, four stars, they're going to get theirs. They're going to get their scholarship. They'll probably get some NIL dollars. But what's going to hurt is that these fringe players, like in Hawaii, were loaded with one-star, two-star players at Mililani and at the smaller schools and, and some of the Kahuku, not headliner players and Punahos and Kamehamehas. These players are no longer getting scholarships because the scholarships that ordinarily would go to a high school senior are now going to a NIL transfer portal kid. And these guys are getting those scholarships first. And maybe the scraps will be left over. So what we're seeing, Ernie, is a number of one and two stars that ordinarily would have gotten a scholarship offer to a a Division I school are now having to go the route of a junior college because the scholarships are no longer available because they're going to transfers rather than high school seniors. So there's a lot of high school kids. And again, that is my consternation with all of this stuff. It's not that the top schools or the ratings are not going to be better. It's the fact that as a whole, when you're looking at what benefits the largest number of students and kids to put them in an advantageous position to better their lives, this is hurting them because more kids are no longer having the opportunity to play Division One because the big schools are just sucking the players out of the smaller programs. And, and to me, that's unfortunate. And again, I, I disagree with Colin Cowherd, who thinks it's just wonderful that a Shadur Sanders is going to get $4 million dollars or Marvin Harrison is considering not turning pro coming back because he may get up to $10 million to return to Ohio State next year. So certainly it's going to change the dynamic. Now there's no rush to go to the NFL. If you don't like the team that's going to draft you, maybe you stay another year and you make five, six, seven, eight million dollars. But it bothers me. I think it's I think it's wrong. I think it has to be controlled a little bit more. And I do think there's there's hidden victims here that most people don't concern themselves with all they concern themselves with is the big name quarterbacks that are in the transfer portal that like dylan gabriel that are going to arrows uh, to oregon or the next big one that's going to land at notre dame or florida state or alabama or texas a&m next year with four to five million dollars in nil does that make the game better does that increase the the prospects and the and the opportunities for more kids I don't think so. That's my problem with it. What do you think? Yeah, um, it's, it's unfortunate. I kind of think like maybe, I mean, I don't know if this is going to be a future solution, but you can curb it to some extent by actually placing a cap on those college programs. You know, you know that way you can, uh, if you're bidding on a certain player coming out of high school, that's maybe a five-star recruit. Uh, you don't go off the board if a certain a booster says, you know, pick up this guy, we'll give him $15 million if he comes to, you know, particular program uh but i don't think that helped i don't think that curbs anything coming from the the transfer port portal in general i don't think uh british schrager is is doing it for nil money i think it's because uh you know like you said alejado's coming in and it remains to see if he becomes successful will he go into the transfer portal using you know uh the uh as a stepping stone into future or better opportunities uh 
it's going to be a crazy game. Uh, a lot of things can happen. I think there's going to be changes in the future. When that happens, how it happens uh, remains to be seen. Uh, right now, you, you kind of got to tread water if you're one of the have-nots, you know, in, in this college football landscapes. Like you said, the bigger programs out there are the ones that are going to benefit. The ones with the big boosters are going to, the ones that are going to benefit. How that uh, relates in regards to uh, the football landscape, I think it's going to help. Being that, uh, you know, the college football player is going to go to a 12-team format next year. I think that's going to only do wonders for those programs in regards to, uh, you know, the playoff system uh, as it stands versus today. More money, more revenue, more interest in regards to those bowl games. So I, uh, it's just unfortunate. I agree with you. I agree with Colin that it's great. I guarantee you that on the revenue basis that it's going to help, but it, it doesn't seem... But fit. it's helping less yes. and less and less yeah, teams. Exa- exactly. And eventually, if it's helping less teams, it's helping less people. Yes. It's helping less students. It's helping less athletes. Uh, and it goes beyond just football. We've talked about this a number of times. Football is the breadwinner for the entire sports program. So all of these programs that are suffering with this consolidation and transfer portal, all of these scholarships are going to go away for tens of thousands of athletes that have been counting on this money developed by the the world of the of of football. And I think again, I think it's a microcosm of what. A lot of our young people are so against in terms of a capitalistic society and that they view things as the greedy being greedier and the lessers getting left behind. And I think that the this is a microcosm of that because yeah. you have now have a consolidation. The Pac-12 gone away. A hundred plus years of history gone in like that, leaving only two teams to play pick up games against the Mountain West Conference next year. Um, and all of those athletes at those schools are now going to be in trouble. Why? So Texas A&M can pay Jimbo Fisher $80 million not to coach as they fired him. They're going to pay him $80 million over the next few years not to coach, plus the new coach that they've hired. That's just, to me, that's just too much money too much greed when you can start to play somebody $80 million at the college level not to coach. How many kids could that $80 million help? Yeah. And I think that's that's what I have a issue with and a problem with. Again, tell us what you think. Am I completely off base? Are you guys like Colin Cowherd all in on three major conferences taking all the teams so that your ratings are good? Uh, or are you in agreement with Ernie and I where the greater good of college sports and college athletics are being impacted by what's going on here? Sports Rivals on IG, uh, sportsrivals.pod on IG and Facebook, sportsrivals.com on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Check us out on social media. Interact with us. Share your thoughts. Tell us who your top five is. Tell us if you're writing our picks. If you did so this weekend and last weekend, you're very, very sad. But don't despair. Next week, we're going to go four and oh. I got a feeling we will be. Let's hope so. If not, <laughs> if not the week after, because uh, next week's program is going to be a couple of days late. 
Uh, you got anything else to go over? I'm, I'm good. All right, and congratulations to Ernie's daughter, Elaine, who is graduating this weekend from GCU uh, University in Phoenix, Arizona. Shout out to GCU, the biggest win in school history. Their first top 25 win last week against San Diego State. They won at Liberty again. They're cracking. They're knocking on the top 25. Elaine is graduating this year. Congratulations, Elaine. Uh, Auntie Lori, Monty, Tiana, and Crystal love you. And until next week, the sports rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear. 